This message was presented at the DYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.dycweb.org. Uh, good afternoon. I hope uh, you had a good lunch and are feeling somewhat refreshed. The schedule of activities, if you try and keep going with the flow, is very intense <laughs> for this uh, GYC uh, program. They really keep it uh, going. But um, it is good to be back, and I'm glad that you uh, are joining for part three, and this is a conclusion, and I, I probably, as I mentioned earlier, I will not be sharing it again. I'm actually going to share some other new, fresh uh, presentations that are on related themes that are related to these kinds of questions uh, that are raised in Job, uh, but uh, we'll spin it from a little bit of a different perspective. So um, for anyone that wants to return uh, uh, later or tomorrow or Sabbath, I will have different, different talks, but you are free to listen to uh, some of the other excellent choices. Job part three, wisdom's recluse or revealing the veil. And I will have another quick word of prayer as we begin. Dear Father in heaven, I ask that your Holy Spirit will be with us as we uh, continue to wrestle with um, some of the most difficult, deepest, and profound questions that uh, humanity has inquired of their Creator. And we ask that you will uh, guide us in a fruitful and productive way, uh, and may the knowledge not only be beneficial for uh, ourselves, uh, but also for uh, awakening our mind to understand uh, those that we may come in contact with, that we may better um, share your love uh, with them. In your name we pray. Amen. Wisdom's Recluse or Revealing the Veil, I kind of gave a hint at this uh, tricky title and what it means. Um, Wisdom's Recluse is God. Um, I'm uh, positing him as Wisdom's Recluse. He kind of hides uh, at times. Um, and Revealing the Veil is kind of uh, where I want to uh, push us when we're looking for answers to some of these kinds of theodicy, God, divine justice questions. And by Revealing the Veil, you know, what, what is the veil? The veil is that which is what? Kind of between, you know, it's what uh, keeps rooms separate. It's the boundary. The veil is the boundary. And uh, by revealing the veil, I want to kind of pull, uh, it's hard to, I'm trying to create some imagery here, pull the curtain back so that we can see the curtain. Does that make sense? So I want to kind of, uh, you know, re reorient our minds about how we think about some of these kinds of questions. And I think that the best answers uh, come when we can shift the way that we think about certain kinds of problems. Uh, because uh, some, some methods of reasoning, if you have ever studied any philosophy or anything like this, any forms of logic or this or that, you'll find that certain logic, certain reasoning, certain uh, mathematical methods, you know, they are very good at accomplishing what they're supposed to accomplish, but they cannot accomplish other things. And so sometimes I think that the way that we think, our common sense can uh, lead us into some traps when we try and wrestle with some of these very difficult uh, question. So that's why I want to reveal the veil, uh, talk about what the boundary is uh, or what it is that is actually masking us um, from going forward. Uh, here again is our, our friend Job suffering and um, with his, his friends. And I, by the way, for a couple of you, I don't know who, uh, who they were exactly, but uh, I am, I did insert a few slides on Elihu and I will uh, talk a little bit about him, their fourth friend that I have not mentioned thus far much, but he, he does say some interesting things, and um, although he doesn't actually answer the, the question either, and that's why I kind of ignored him, uh, because he really plays right into God's uh, divine discourse, but I did add a, a little bit on him during the break. Questions. What really is the issue for Job? 
and in parentheses, what is God's issue for this Jobian saga? Is there a difference? Can we think differently about the two? Um, and uh, is Job's point of view um, helpful to him? Is it helpful to God and or what is really going on on the perspectives? Job's perspective. You can find it uh, throughout, and I will cite a few. Job 6.4, the arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. God's terrors are marshaled against me. Does that sound like someone that uh, is going to be uh, defending God? That's pretty, that's pretty strong language. Um, I hope that we uh, don't need to say this. And you know why? Because we do have Job. That's sort of one of the things. That was why I had kind of skipped the prologue in the beginning to really uh, get into your mind that what if you don't have that prologue? This is the only option. If you do not know about Satan, if you do not have insight on the great controversy theme, you have to say this. Uh, either that or uh, God is not in control because the natural evil you know, runs rampant and, and somehow uh, all this conf you know, fluence of uh, unfortunate events uh, came together on this one day and uh, you know, destroyed this man's life by sheer coincidence. So for Job, from Job's perspective, without the prologue, uh, and for people who have not understood or see reality in the Jobian way, um, you have either a horrible, tragic coincidence or you have God doing it. Those are the two choices that Job has. Sheer coincidence, natural evil, or God doing it. And that's why, what does Job default to? Well, he believes in God, and so he says, well, it, it must be God. Uh, God's arrows of the Almighty are in me. Job 16, uh, 10 chapters later, God assails me and tears me in his anger, gnashes his teeth at me, and my opponent fastens on me his piercing eyes. Ten men open their mouths to jeer at me. They strike my cheek in scorn and unite together um, Verse 10, men open there, yes, okay, misread it. Uh, Unite together against me. God has turned me over to evil men and thrown me into the clutches of the wicked. All was well with me, but he shattered me. He seized me by the neck and crushed me. He has made me his target, his archers, uh, again the arrow, his arrows, his archers surround me without pity. He pierces my kidneys and spills my gall on the ground. Very colorful language. Again and again he bursts upon me. He rushes at me like a warrior. This is astonishing uh, perspective, and uh, is it accurate? That's something, again, for this audience, I can kind of just throw out there as a question. Obviously, it's not, but Job still says it. So is this part of the uh, uh, future discourse, uh, or is it going to play into what will be said later? Uh, here is a, uh, another depiction of uh, God um, casting out his boils upon Job, I believe, is what's being shown here. And... Uh, Job demonstrates his theology for worse and for better. Again, Job 19, know then that God has wronged me. I, uh, those are strong, that's strong language. And he has closed his net around me. Um, he has put his, my brethren, and, and this is very interesting, and I'm going to read it because of where it's located. This is Job 19, and that's a very important chapter uh, in Job. Uh, he shares that he has put his brethren far from me. He has cut off, you know, acquaintances are wholly estranged from me. My kinsfolk and my close friends have failed me. But the guests in my house have forgotten me. My maidservants count me as a stranger. I've become an alien in their eyes. I call to my servant, but he gives no answer. I must beseech him with my mouth. I am repulsive to my wife, loathsome to the sons of my own mother. Even young children despise me. When I rise, they talk against me. All my intimate friends abhor me. Job is in a, uh, we'd say a, uh, deep feeling of suffering and pain. 
Again, the uh, fingers of everyone seem to be against him, uh, arrayed against him, and he is uh, in a bad state of mind, you would think. But uh, Job, and I'll come back to chapter 19 in a moment, Job maintains through to the end, um, never, never parts from this key point, his, the defense of his integrity. As long as my breath is in me, and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips will not speak falsehood. By the way, when he says that he will not speak falsehood, what does that imply, again, that he understands? He understands that speaking falsehood is wrong, so he has an understanding of uh, the law of God and of uh, his character. So he understands the commandments, that's what I'm trying to say. Job, you know, that's kind of the, under, or, uh, the unspoken issue, uh, but God, uh, Job does understand what is right and what is wrong. You know, in so far as he understands it, he does understand it. So he knows what I, you know, I will not speak falsehood. Uh, so he has an understanding of what is right and wrong. And my tongue will not utter deceit. Far be it from me to say that you are right and that I have committed some special sin worthy of this. Um, Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. I hold fast my righteousness and will not let it go. My heart does not reproach me for any of my days. This is, again, a very strong self-defense uh, from Job, from someone who feels so... Um, lost uh, in the social world that he had previously known. This is uh, his consistent response. And I like, uh, you know, uh, comparisons have been you know, made, you know, his, his strong stand like, you know, Martin Luther, uh, when he was called uh, before the Holy Roman Empire there in uh, Germany. And, you know, he's emphatic that uh, unless I am shown by the testimony of Scripture and by evident reasoning, and Job is saying the same thing, unless I am shown by God uh, that it is otherwise, unless I am overcome by means of you know, divine uh, language um, that, I, that can be given to me, unless my conscience is taken captive by, uh, again, divine revelation, I am neither able nor willing to revoke anything, since to act against one's conscience is neither safe nor honest. Here I uh, stand, God help me, I can do no otherwise. Uh, were Luther's famous words, and I'm basically just uh, noting that, uh, you know, Job is digging in his heels. It's important, by the way, to allow for the possibility of this whole scenario that Job does admit that he is not perfect in the sense of, um, you know, blameless throughout his entire life, or again, depending on how you want to understand the use of the word blameless, because blameless can also mean biblically that it means that you repent appropriately when you make a mistake. So um, all I'm simply saying is, is that Job is acknowledging his sinful nature. He definitely comes from the, the sons of uh, the fallen, uh, uh, you know, Adam and Eve. We are, uh, he has inherited a sinful uh, nature, and he has made his uh, mistakes, the iniquities of his youth, he references. Uh, so he is, he is not saying that he doesn't um, even belong in this, this uh, whole thing in the sense of uh, surrounded by uh, evil. He understands the world he lives in and he acknowledges his uh, life and participation in it. However, from Job 19, um, where it began, the chapter began, and this contrast is one of the greatest in Scripture, uh, where he says that, you know, everyone has turned me away. You know, you think he's kind of in the psychological dumps of life and uh, is unable to, you know, recover, he immediately turns around, uh, verses 23, 24, uh, and onward, uh, oh, that my words were written, and um, it seems that they were, so Job had his uh, wish granted, oh, that my words were inscribed in a book, oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were graven in the rock forever, prophetic words of his own 
notions. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, then in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see on my side. And my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me at this uh, desire um, that Job is, is saying. And, and this is really amazing. And uh, one of the, again, uh, earliest and most important references in Scripture uh, to the idea of a resurrection. Uh, I cannot pass that by, that uh, here uh, Moses is definitely already writing. Again, I do believe that Moses wrote it, and that's the, the time um, that uh, the resurrection is a very real possibility and that the believers in God, even from that time, uh, were looking forward to it. Um, it's kind of, you know, I wish sometimes that uh, uh, we could have had a more systematic theology of what Job believed, um, because clearly he did not have Satan factored in quite right, uh, but he definitely did understand uh, the more important truth, and that is, is that this life is not the only life, that there is another life, and that he seizes upon it and says that I, it will all be explained or, you know, I will be justified um, in this, uh, the future, and that I know that my Redeemer lives. Now, um, Think, think back here and uh, kind of, you know, at the uh, tension in his own mind. Uh, if, if, again, you do not have the prologue in mind and you have said that the arrows of the Almighty are piercing me, so I'm being shot by God, God's arrows are, are being thrown down upon me, and yet he stands and says and is willing to say, I know my Redeemer lives. Who is this Redeemer? You know, would it not be uh, this same God that uh, he has just accused of, of uh, punishing him? So there's a, a very interesting, it's, it's hard to go back and really understand, um, you know, what was in Job's mind. But uh, there's definitely uh, a, a very, you know, some tension. There is some tension and, and that uh, will come out. It is important. All right. Um, as noted, the three other friends of Job basically just go around a spiral of uh, trying to insist in different methods, uh, different ways, different uh, personalities, different language, that Job is, has done something that he won't admit, that he has done something wrong, something to warrant this, something that makes him deserving of this suffering, and Job keeps insisting otherwise. There is a fourth friend, um, and that is Elihu, and um, his uh, discourse will uh, do or work nicely for me to shift into um, what I think the story of Job is really about. Uh, and that deals with character versus uh, ignorance uh, concerning uh, God. The character issue versus simply uh, ignorance um, of what is really happening. Uh, it is noted that Elihu is somewhat more sympathetic by um, commentators on Job. Uh, he seems to try and weave a neutral path, kind of rejecting the three friends and rejecting Job at the same time. So this has uh, Given uh, the idea um, that maybe Elihu is, is correct in everything that he says um, and that uh, he might have been God's agent to help communicate to Job uh, some message that Job needed. And um, I, I think that you can make that case uh, that he does uh, provide uh, a nice transition into uh, God's uh, revelation when he does come in the whirlwind. Um, however, uh, it still uh, sidetracks uh, some of the key issues. <laughs> I mean, it still uh, ignores them. But hear my speech, O Job, and listen to all my words. Behold, I open my mouth, the tongue in my mouth speaks. My words declare the uprightness of my heart. So he is trying to express his sincerity, and, and uh, what my lips know, they speak sincerely. 
Um, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Some have tried to see evidence here that he is uh, claiming inspiration. I think that, uh, you know, Jobian scholars, even in the Adventist church, are, are ambiguous. Uh, you know, they're not quite sure what he's saying. Again, Job is a very difficult text, and the Hebrew is very challenging, uh, the original language. Um, answer me if you can. Set your words in order before me. Take your stand. Behold, I am toward God as you are. I, too, was formed from a piece of clay. Behold, no fear of me need terrify you. So he's trying to express uh, that he's human, too. Uh, you know, so he understands uh, you know, the, the issues a little bit better than his friends, and he's trying to emphasize different dynamics in them. Surely you have spoken in my hearing, and I have heard the sound of your words. You say, I am clean without transgression. I am pure, and there is no iniquity in me. Uh, behold, he, God, finds occasions against me. That's what you're saying, Job. This is Elihu speaking to Job. He counts me as his enemy. This is accurate. Uh, if you've been reading Job's words, this is uh, certainly um, uh, responding, I think, accurately to Job's uh, expressed sentiments. He puts my feet in the stocks and watches all my paths. Uh, Elihu's discourse from Job chapter 33. Now, Elihu summarizes everything that Job has been saying, that God mistreats him without a reason, that he is doing these things without justification uh, in sort of a capricious way, uh, just choosing to throw his arrows uh, down upon Job and cause him uh, unwarranted uh, suffering. Um, and uh, Elihu's response to both Job and to uh, the other friends is that, um, behold, uh, particularly to Job though, in this you are not right. I will answer you. And uh, his answer is very simple. God is greater than man. Um, now, again, if uh, Elihu um, is to be understood as offering a, uh, a more accurate or sympathetic or a slightly more inspired or divinely uh, inspired uh, account, um, I'm open to that. But um, I'm going to ask, uh, is, this, is this enough? Is this enough? Does this really answer the question? Um, and I'm not sure that it really quite penetrates to the real issue. Uh, but I'm willing to grant that um, God is greater than man. What he has said is true. Elihu's Eli, uh, responses are, are uh, in many ways better, uh, even if uh, you know, he has had to hold himself back, as he says when he introduces himself. He's like a, you know, something that wants to burst open and so forth. So you know, how, I don't know how you want to read his personality. Um, it can be difficult, but... Uh, but Elihu does offer uh, something of a, a mediating uh, middle, middle path. Um, and uh, he, he does correctly chastise Job, I think, uh, as God himself does, that you are not right in that uh, God is doing it uh, simply capriciously, um, but that there are other factors at, at, uh, at work. Now, before we go uh, to the divine discourse and uh, look a little bit at how we might... Um, offer what can be called a, a uh, conclusion to the story. Um, we need to go back and look at Job chapter 28. And this is, to me, one of the most significant chapters uh, in the book. And it's also even, again, unfortunately, a little bit unclear. Um, different commentators uh, want to say that uh, these are Job's words, that this is part of Job's uh, discussion. Um, others say that this is Moses' interlude, <laughs> that Moses has something he wants to say as the, uh, the, uh, the human author, and that he inserts some thoughts here, and that uh, really, you know, we don't know whether or not these are Job's thoughts, uh, or whether or not they are Moses', the narrator's thoughts, the human narrator's thoughts, you know, then being inspired by God. So, unclear. Um, Ellen White offers no, no you know, particular 
counsel on this, um, and uh, I have, you know, you can lean either way. Uh, but either way you lean, you do need to read it. You do need to understand what it says because it is part of, and this is clear, that God did inspire it to be written uh, and be, to be placed here in the book. So that, that much is we're clear about. So God does want us to understand this, and it does factor into the story of Job. That much, again, is clear whether or not uh, they really express Job's thoughts or whether or not uh, they're more of uh, Moses, uh, his, his words, uh, the narrator. Um, 28, chapter 28 is one of, I think, the most beautiful and, again, as I was just describing, almost out of place chapters in the book, um, at least at first glance. Um, it is a meditation that, uh, again, Job or Moses gives us on the endless search for wisdom, for understanding. And that, I think, definitely applies as an issue in the Jobian uh, narrative, the, the Jobian saga. Uh, the first 11 uh, verses which I will read are you know, about man searching for treasure, gold, something that seems very distant from suffering and everything that had been going on. Um, I will read some of them. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold which they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the ore. Men put an end to darkness and search out to the farthest bound, the ore in gloom and deep darkness. Um, and again, some think that this is like describing lamps that miners use as they dig into the dark shafts of the earth. They open shafts in a valley where, uh, from where, away from where men live. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang afar from men. They swing to and fro. Um, and to explain again what's happening here, because it can kind of be just strange to read for many uh, contemporary uh, readers. Uh, 7 and 8, Job is saying that uh, there is nothing in nature like man's desperate search for gold. Uh, it is kind of a special phenomena when men uh, look for their treasures. Um, it's one that, uh, as Job 28, 7 and 8 uh, remarks, that it's the path that no bird of prey knows. The falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden it. They do not do this. The lion has not passed over it. Um, animals pay no attention to the gold and jewels. It is men who seek after these things, treasure, that which is of value to them. And they will go to any limits to find that which is of value to them. And I think that is very often true of us. How, you know, what limits will we let be placed uh, in front of us uh, if we are after, if we are on the trail, if we are on the hunt of something that we want? You know, well, nothing. I mean, you know, not if, so far as possible, we don't want to be restricted or limited uh, or stopped in our quest to um, uh, make it to our goal, our objective. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks and his eye sees every precious thing. He binds up the streams so that they do not trickle and the thing that is hid, he brings forth to light. So man normally is able to be successful and to penetrate into that which is hidden and that which is obscure and to extract out something of value, something tangible, something physical. He is normally able to do this. Uh, the science of man can do this. Uh, miners often, explanation again, often have to dam up water that seeps into the mines in order to work them. And Job shows, or Moses shows, how man gives up almost anything and goes to any lengths to find these treasures. Um, and then he comes to his point, though, in verse 12, after describing man's quest for gold and uh, you know, the animal's ignorance of this process. Um, he just inserts right out of the blue gold on the one hand, and then verse 12. But where shall wisdom be found, and where is the place of understanding? Man does not know the way to it, and it is not found in the land of the living. 
The deep says, it is not in me, and the sea says, it is not with me. Here we see um, an analogy, uh, or the reason for his analogy, for, of the search uh, for, of men for gold and silver and the treasures of the earth. He says men will again go to any lengths to find such treasures. And you can, again, try and transport this to a modern context of, of uh, certain kinds of you know, knowledge, wealth, you know, however it may be. Uh, the wealth can be uh, whatever it is that men seek after, um, you know, you know, and so forth. Um, he says, men will go to any lengths to find these treasures, and likewise they will look for the answers to the riddles of life. Um, they can find the gold, but they cannot find the wisdom. Where is the wisdom? And I think that this is also um, very important uh, in today's, um, at least depending on which part of the uh, uh, flow of, of the uh, intellectual climate that you've kind of tied into, depending on what major you're studying. If you're an English major, you may not appreciate this. If you are a, uh, I was just, uh, the gentleman at the back here is a you know, physics and math major, then you might have more uh, you know, connection with this. But uh, science, there is a strong um, uh, move by uh, atheist scientists uh, to basically say that the natural world is all there is. I'm sure you have, are familiar with this idea that the natural world is all there is. So we, we use our, our uh, mathematics and our, our physics and our chemistry and our biology and we dig into the earth and not just for gold, for human you know, value, but, but that uh, nature itself um, reveals, uh, you know, through this, this atheistic godless process, reveals um, you know, everything that there is to know. There is nothing else. So that, that's my point. There is nothing else. And... Um, uh, I think that Job is, is critiquing that view of science, that view of modern science, that there is nothing else. There is. There is wisdom. And it is not to be found through the efforts of men in their quest for gold or in their quest to simply penetrate nature, that ultimately wisdom uh, exceeds uh, the boundaries of these, uh, these ways of thinking. And this is very important um, because uh, it puts a, a you know, sharp limit on, on what can be done by um, science and by men's efforts to dig into the earth. So what is this wisdom that Job is talking about, or Moses? Um, all through the book, we have been continually confronted with the question, why does God treat Job this way? And of course, though I have not read it, uh, we have, as the readers, information Job doesn't have, which is helpful, although still doesn't answer the question, okay? But we do have helpful information as far as why exactly these occurrences are happening now. Satan started a process, and that's why things are happening this way right now. Uh, so at least we know that much, even though we don't know the ultimate reasons. Um, so uh, he has no knowledge, uh, Job does, of uh, the challenge that Satan has made uh, to God and God's response uh, defending Job. And so, from this point of view, again, absent the prologue, uh, Job's questioning comes from a different mindset than ours would, even. Um, it does not come from the great controversy mindset. And so, in some ways, I think that his, his mind has to think in deeper, more penetrating ways than uh, Job's, uh, rather than ours does. Uh, imagine, again, trying to think, uh, you know, how you would view the world without, you know, uh, the Jobian great controversy theme. It's, it's a different way of thinking. And even a lot of Christians um, out there in the world uh, who do not have our great controversy theme uh, may understand natural evil and other things in very different ways. I, I know a, um, a, uh, uh, he is a Presbyterian uh, minister, pastor, um, whom I have uh, worked with on, you know, uh, traveled with in the Middle East um, 
He's also friends with my father, and I've had several, you know, conversations and such with him over the years. Um, he's actually even studied at Andrews. And uh, he doesn't believe in a personal devil. He's a Presbyterian minister, and he does not believe in a personal devil. So he's a Christian pastor, and he believes in God. He be you know, he's, he's not sure about, you know, what angels really do. Um, he isn't willing to fully deny them, but uh, uh, he, he does not really believe. He says, you know, he's told me he doesn't believe in a personal devil. Now, I think uh, that that is a pretty... Um, uh, serious you know, alteration to the biblical picture, um, and I, that will, it will have profound consequences. However, Job is almost in that situation, or at least seems to be. We don't really know exactly what he knew, uh, but he seems his mind seems to run through this course, that, look, there's God, and then there is me, and, uh, you know, he doesn't understand that context. So, so his questioning really does have to start from a deeper level than even ours does, um, and I think that that is helpful when trying to wrestle with these issues. Job 28, 15, and 17 repeats uh, verse 12, where uh, that wisdom cannot be found and cannot be bought. It cannot be gotten for gold, and silver cannot be weighted as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir and precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. Um, I think that is uh, speaking for itself, uh, that we uh, too often think that uh, wealth uh, academic jobs or degrees, uh, jobs, uh, different positions is what is to be attained uh, in life, that that is the quest of life is to accumulate things. Uh, and it's even interesting that Ellen White says the same thing. Ellen White actually uh, says that to God, that the, the desire, the um, uh, human desire to go out and acquire, uh, uh, you know, wealth and, and things and to, you know, basically, you know, do things, you know, to work hard and to, you know, admire your work, to build things, to be constructive, um, you know, that will include uh, acquiring, you know, wealth of different kinds, you know, you know, material wealth, however you want to describe it. But she says that was actually implanted in man's heart by God. <laughs> so, you know, this, is, this was from the beginning. This is, and when I read this, I'm not reading it simply as a post fall thing, I'm saying this is part of Adam's mindset, was that he was to, uh, you know, enjoy uh, the garden and to, to work and to, you know, do things and to be constructive, to acquire things, you know, in the sense of, you know, uh, you know building and, and doing, that man is to be, you know, caught up in these activities. This is, this is man. This is the state of man. Of course, in the fallen nature, it be, can become very perverted. It can become twisted and distorted. Uh, but, but this is man. So man is desiring to do these things. Uh, God has made mankind, man and woman, to be constructive, to be creative. Uh, to enjoy writing songs and uh, drawing paintings and, and being artistic and, and all of these things. God made us to do these things. Uh, but in and of themselves, um, uh, the wealth and, and the art and, and all of these, these things that we can do, they themselves are not wisdom. They are not what wisdom is. We cannot buy uh, art, or, you know, or we, cannot, we can buy art, but we cannot buy wisdom. We can buy uh, material things, but we cannot buy um, uh, you know, uh, wisdom. It is something that cannot be bought. It has no value. It is inestimable in its price. But, Job 28 concludes, God understands the way to it, and he knows its place, however the word is meant to be understood. He looks to the ends of the earth, and he sees everything under the heavens. Um, God knows where it is, and God knows what it is, however we're to understand that. When he gave to the wind its weight, um, and I just have to note, it's interesting that a lot of uh, critics have thought that Job didn't know what he was talking about because he says wind is weight, but uh, science, you know, actually 
kind of indicates that it does. But anyway, so Job is uh, far more uh, scientifically uh, aware and, and astute than we often give him credit, um, or critics of the Bible give uh, the Bible credit. Uh, he meted out the waters by measure when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, and he saw it and declared it. He established it, and God searched it out. He knows what wisdom is. And he said to man, and this is a very important verse in Job, and he said to man, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to, to depart from evil is understanding. All right, with that in mind, that the fear of the Lord is wisdom, and to depart from evil, I want to go back to that, just make sure that sears into you, uh, your minds there, to depart from evil is understanding. What is that saying about uh, this whole, uh, the uh, wealth and health trial of Job, the wealth and health? Uh, is there another dimension? Uh, that has been neglected, that has been forgotten, that relates directly to wisdom. Why is it that wisdom is related to right and wrong? Right and wrong. Are you catching what this is saying? You know, to fear the Lord, that is wisdom. But see, you could just take that, that first part of the verse, to fear the Lord is wisdom, and certainly that's true. Um, to fear the Lord is wisdom. But uh, what is the second part of that? And what does that mean for Job's situation? To depart from evil is understanding. So can we participate in evil and understand? If Job had admitted that what he had done was worthy uh, in the special sense of his suffering, would he have understood or would he have lost understanding? Would he have lost the ability to understand what God might be wanting uh, to reveal to him anyway despite his uh, horribly agonizing suffering? To depart from evil is understanding. There is a moral dimension there is a moral dimension to uh, wisdom that uh, is often forgotten. Uh, again, we are bombarded in the 21st century. Uh, I, you know, through, I, again, I don't want to be critical of, of science in, in the broad sense, but in, but in this special way, um, we are bombarded with 21st century postmodern, uh, what I will call uh, value neutral, value neutral uh, reality, that reality is neutral. You know, whatever feels good to you, that's what is good. That has become what is moral. Um, you know, there, there's so many ways that that uh, issue, you know, crops up. Uh, you know, um, I don't need to be specific, but that, you know, everything is truly neutral, everything from music to uh, everything else, that it's all completely and wholly neutral. Um, now, I'm not going to deny that there's a lot of complexities. I'm not going to go into the complexities here. That's not my point. But, um, but we are bombarded that reality is neutral, that science is neutral, that uh, reality is simply objective and we can just discover it and it doesn't really tell us anything about what is good or preferable or what, whether we should have preferences, uh, that these things are not true. And so whenever man can come up with a new kind of preference, uh, a new opinion of what is good, um, invent a new style of music that maybe they didn't know about before, uh, that uh, we can say that it is good, that it is, that it is acceptable, that it is positive. Uh, and uh, society, uh, no matter what the issue is, uh, whenever they discover something that they kind of want to press uh, on the you know, boundaries of, of what used to be or what is normally socially acceptable uh, behavior. Uh, they always want to press it on you know, kind of moral terms, you know, that this must be done. You know, society is, is always bombarding us with, uh, if you don't accept this kind of a thing, if you don't think that this is right or doing this kind of behavior is right, society wants to not just say, well, you know, learn to live with it, 
but uh, they also want to insist that uh, it's good. They want to, uh, you know, ins import value into it. Um, like, for example, you know, you can take it, and I know other folks are talking about some of these sensitive issues, but um, like homosexuality, you know, can, can you live with it as a Christian, as an Adventist? Can you have a loving response to it? Can you allow people to uh, do what they want, uh, you know, privately and so forth? Uh, but is that the same thing as endorsing it, as saying that it is morally good? And that is a, the very difficult question uh, that we're always uh, struggling with uh, in society, how to wrestle with uh, allowing but not embracing or not uh, agreeing with, and yet you know, receiving the pressure that uh, we should embrace this, that we should say that it is good. Um, and so a very difficult thing. Um, so to depart from evil is understanding. There is a moral dimension. There is a moral dimension to wisdom and to understanding. That is very, very important at the conclusion of the chapter on wisdom. That is how it concludes. Evil, to depart from evil, is understanding. All right. Um, there is God swirling around um, in the whirlwind uh, with uh, Job and uh, his friends. You can identify the characters uh, yourselves. God's responses. They come in two varieties, and I could read them. They are quite interesting to read. Um, anytime God speaks, and of course, uh, you may have heard that this is the longest uh, single discourse uh, of God in the entire Bible. You know, God just launches into a big speech. That is unusual. God doesn't normally do that. And uh, it's very interesting um, to actually sit down and, and read what God says when he's given the floor, you know, kind of, a, you know, the opportunity and he's given there and what does God do? Um, and uh, to summarize it very, very briefly, uh, in Job 38 and 39, uh, he says, I am all-knowing, I do know everything um, about uh, nature and so forth. Um, and then in Job uh, 40 and 41, after a very brief um, comment by uh, Job, uh, in chapters 40, 41, he says, I'm all powerful. Now, uh, if you were here earlier, you may remember that this is, these are points that uh, not only Elihu makes, but even the, the other friends, uh, they had said the same things, did they not? So as a basic comment on a true statement, um, God doesn't seem to be at first, you know, at, a, at, a, at, a, at one glance, seem to be offering anything particularly uh, unique or special that Elihu you know, hasn't already shared and the other friends haven't shared in one way or another. Uh, it's very interesting uh, that God's responses actually shy away from the moral question. Isn't that interesting? I, I, I still wonder about why um, that uh, the issue that God's response, God's actual response to Job is not the prologue. <laughs> at all. It is not the prologue. Even the conclusion does not indicate really what happened in the prologue. Why does God not share with Job what God through the Holy Spirit and Moses shared with us? I don't know. <laughs> you know that's an interesting question I'll have to ask uh, God and, and Job and Moses someday, uh, why he chose to respond the way that he did. However, um, I think that it is nevertheless significant uh, that God responds the way that he does um, because he does assert uh, and in response to uh, the, the friends of, of um, um, uh, the, the three friends and Elihu, the four of them, uh, he does say, although he is really speaking to Job, not to them, but he does say, I am all-knowing. That is correct. I am all-knowing. 
And in 4041, I am all-powerful. There is no beast of the sea or, uh, you know, uh, however you want to understand it, dinosaur, uh, all sorts of different interpretations for who Leviathan is and so forth. Uh, but God does make a claim that he really is all-knowing and all-powerful. He is. You know, this is the fact. This is what God is saying. And so um, we can take that as... Uh, a, a comment on Job, um, and, and it is, uh, by the way, since it's directed at Job, you, you realize that God asks, um, how, are, how are the speeches delivered? If you have your Bibles, there's a lot of question marks. <laughs> you know, God really peppers Job with question after question. Um, you know, I'll read verse um, 38.1. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding who determined its measurements. Surely you know. He almost is kind of playing with Job. It's, it's uh, an interesting speech. Who stretched the line upon it? Or to what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, when I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors, when I said, this far you may come, but no further. And here your proud waves stop. He continues with questions after question after question. Uh, obviously, God knows Job cannot answer any of these questions, but he still takes the time to demonstrate um, how and why he is the God that is all-knowing and all-powerful. Uh, verse 40, again, there's a kind of a shift, um, not reading all of it, but uh, uh, here he, you know, refers to himself as the Almighty um, and that Job has no place to, to rebuke him. And Job, by the way, does respond humbly. Um, Job 40, this is the uh, kind of his little interlude, and I will read it. Job answered the Lord and said, in fact, I think I do have that. Um, when Job heard, actually, this is a quote uh, from Great Controversy. Uh, kind of tying in Job to some other characters, and I think it's important to put them together here. Um, this is from Great Controversy 471. When Job heard the voice of the Lord coming out of the whirlwind, he exclaimed, I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. It was when Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord and heard the cherubims crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, that he cried out, Woe is me, for I am undone. Paul, after he was caught up into the third heaven, whatever that is, and heard things which it was not possible for a man to utter, speaks of himself as less than the least of all saints. It was the beloved John who leaned on Jesus' breast and beheld his glory that fell as one dead before the feet of the angel. Um, Ellen White's quote uh, here is simply sharing that it doesn't matter who you are. It does not matter how little you've sinned or how much you've sinned, um, how righteous you are in the eyes of the world or yourself. Uh, when you meet God, uh, you, are, uh, you are humbled. You are humbled. Job's response then in verse 40, um, Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken, and I will not answer even twice, and I will add nothing more. Kind of a poetic way of saying, I know nothing. Uh, your God. Later, after the speeches, Job answers the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Um, 
I'm actually later going to share this uh, interesting Hebrew word there uh, for um, uh, wonderful. That is a, a special word for that. I'll share it later in relationship to miracles and uh, wisdom, and, and uh, it's an interesting word study, but I'll share that later. Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. But I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract, and I repent in dust and ashes. It's a very important um, and correct attitude of Job's. He is rebuked for accusing God of, I, I think you can say, of, of doing these things capriciously. Um, God did not uh, do these things. Satan did them. Uh, God allowed it. God permitted it. And that is always a big question. Why does God permit some things? Um, but God says that I am all-powerful. I am all-knowing. Um, and I did not, uh, you know, do these things. Um, I, I do think um, that the book of Job, as I've mentioned, uh, does tell us that life is in many ways basically a mystery, uh, but that it's more than that, you know, that, that life really is surrounded by it, uh, mysteries. Uh, we cannot uh, ever seize um, or control or measure the size of it. Uh, it is too grand of a painting, you know, I, I like going to some art museums and they have these huge murals. Uh, you know, this, this painting, the painting of reality is too big. Uh, the, the canvas is too long, too wide, too tall. Uh, we cannot grasp it all. The ways of God are far beyond us many, many times over, and yet Job is gradually learning in the midst of this pain and suffering to trust God, uh, who is there because, uh, you know, he does actually come and appear. So trust that he will come up with adequate answers and that he is working out uh, a purpose in line with his love. But, th but this is a, a challenge. Um, before concluding uh, on that, I do want to read, uh, but along the lines of mystery, um, an important quote from Ellen White that has uh, influenced me a lot as I study philosophy and does not seem to influence very many other academic philosophers, uh, but uh, I think is very important. Um, this is from uh, Great Controversy as well. Thus many err. She was actually speaking in the context of scientists that think they know everything. Uh, that's exactly what she was concerned about. Uh, philosophers and scientists who think they can figure it all out. And she says, Thus many err from the faith and are seduced by the devil. Men have endeavored to be wiser than their creator. Human philosophy has attempted to search out and explain mysteries which will never be revealed through the eternal ages. And that is a strong statement uh, from the pen of Ellen White. Um, although, as I said, I, or as I will share, I don't think that it needs to overly limit us from understanding certain certain things, but uh, we can, in other words, you don't want to fall back on, well, that's a mystery too quickly. There are certain things that, that we will never understand, but don't fall on that too, too quickly. Um, if men would but search and understand what God has made known of himself and his purposes, they would obtain such a view of the glory, majesty, and power of Jehovah that they would realize their own littleness and would be content with that which has been revealed for themselves and their children. There is a lot that we do not know about Scripture that has been revealed, and why don't we study it? If we had a, sh a more secure mind on that which we do know, uh, we might be a little less bothered by that which we don't know. Um, and remember uh, that uh, the words from Scripture, from Job 28, uh, there is a moral dimension to knowledge and to understanding. And if we think that we can skip that very important step 
and be atheist philosophers and figure it all out better than the theologians um, who are taking Scripture seriously, high, you know, taking the Word of God seriously. Uh, we're in, I think, or that, that person is in for uh, an uncomfortable journey um, that they will be unsatisfied with because God is, is uh, include God, remember, think of the concept of God. God has a moral nature. It is part of ultimate reality. If you think you can penetrate into the mysteries of ultimate reality without acknowledging that component, uh, then I think you know you have uh, uh, headed off on a path that will not be satisfying, and that is the standard path that people follow when they're trying to answer some of these questions: is to try and, and figure it out uh, outside of any moral orientation. They try and do it without uh, having a particular worldview or understanding of God and His character. Ellen White continues: It is a masterpiece. Satan's an artist too. You knew that, right? Satan is a marvelous artist. It is a masterpiece of Satan's deceptions to keep the minds of men searching and conjecturing in regard to that which God has not made known and that which he does not intend uh, we, uh, that we shall understand. Um, whether or not uh, this applies to um, everything, I want to note that uh, as humans we can often um, be limited in our current situation in life. In other words, there are many things that we do not understand about theology. Maybe uh, you are still struggling with understanding uh, the uh, Old Testament uh, uh, temple services. Uh, you find uh, you know, Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy to be uh, a little bit <laughs> cumbersome and laborious and the language a little bit challenging. Um, you're struggling to understand the intricacies of uh, some of the prophecies. Um, and uh, revelation, you know, that are, are difficult. Uh, maybe you're still struggling over Daniel chapter 11 and what it means for us today. Uh, any of you who have very curious minds, um, uh, you know, we don't know, you know, and yet maybe we can know more about that. And so don't let our, our, um, our what, word, what nice word shall I use, uh, let our lack of effort, uh, our lack of uh, desire uh, keep us from knowing that which we could know. But nevertheless, uh, there are things that Satan will tempt us to know or to ask uh, that are the, easy, the easily accessible but very difficult problems that uh, God does not intend for us to understand in the ways that we think we should understand them. Um, it was thus, Ellen White adds, a great controversy, 222-223 is where these uh, paragraphs were taken. It was thus that Lucifer lost his place in heaven. He became dissatisfied because all the secrets of God's purposes were not confided to him. And he entirely disregarded that which was revealed concerning his own work in the lofty position assigned him. By arousing the same discontent in the angels under his command, he caused their fall. Now he seeks to imbue the minds of men with the same spirit and to lead them also to disregard the direct commands of God. Uh, note what he, you know, how it ends. Note how, how the story ends for Satan, and that is to lead people uh, to violate the, one of the direct commands of God. He knows that uh, you will only get lost in that journey of understanding if he can get you to not deny uh, you know, doing evil. He knows that he will get you trapped in a, an infinite loop of, of circularity that will never be satisfying. He knows that. Uh, so he wants to pull you into questions and to think about them in ways that will not be helpful. To think about them in ways that will not be helpful. Uh, from this, another uh, Ellen White uh, quotation from Review and Herald. From this scripture, um, Job, we may learn much regarding God's dealings with his people. And when calamity comes, unless the Lord indicates plainly that this calamity is sent as a punishment of those who are departing from the word of his counsel, unless he reveals that it has come as a retribution for the sins of the workers, 
uh, let every man refrain from criticism. So basically, unless you really know better, uh, be quiet. Be quiet when you see those suffering around you. Be a sympathetic uh, listener and a sympathetic voice. Let us be careful not to reproach anyone. We do not know in what way before men and angels uh, we might be hurting them and or uh, deluding ourselves um, as well. Uh, we do not know. Uh, White continued there in Review and Herald, the enemy is often permitted, note the word she uses, and this is you know, a heavy word, often permitted to try God's people in just such a way as Job was tried, although, again, I don't think that it's usually quite as, quite as, uh, quite as horrible as him, but um, you know, I will let uh, the individuals uh, who are suffering speak to that. And when Job's friends came to him and began to remind him of his sins and to urge that he was suffering because of divine displeasure, they were doing a work that was wholly uncalled for. Job endured the test. He proved true to God, and after his trial, his blessings were manifold. The prosperity that attended the closing years of his life gave the enemy no opportunity to exult over the former misfortunes of God's faithful servant. And that is important to highlight, and that is, is that if it has been special and you have been tested um, uh, often enough, whether or not it is you yourself, but the circumstances will demonstrate that God was at work. Uh, whether or not, you know, again, sometimes you know, the person may die that you were, you were wondering about and so forth. Again, specifics are always impossible. Uh, to, to describe, but um, God will make it clear uh, through their witness uh, that, uh, you know, that this has been um, done of his purposes. God did not want Job uh, uh, in his worldly context to um, uh, be an opportunity for naysayers against this holy man. So he did. God did uh, bless him specifically as part of this test. Um, it was, was uh, done for him. Um, to conclude, I think I, we have two minutes. I really want to emphasize, and we can take maybe a couple questions or comments if you have it, but I hope that I have been clear that uh, there is um, a relationship between God's, or rather uh, Job's character and his integrity before God, his knowledge and obedience to God's commandments as he understood them. That was really the real test. Uh, that's what God was interested in. Uh, from uh, Job's point of view, it seemed like it was the, wealth, uh, the health and wealth uh, that was the, the, the challenge, that was the test. But from God's point of view, and even from Satan's point of view, uh, he, you know, he was trying to warp it into a, uh, a health and wealth, a health and wealth test. Uh, but from God's point of view, the reason he permitted it is because there was an entirely different agenda that he had in mind, and it had to do with morality. It had to do with what really wisdom and understanding uh, really are. Um, and uh, Job did endure the test, and even Job himself, that's why when he made uh, his, his biggest mistakes, which he repeated, um, of blaming God for it, uh, God does not rebuke him for it beyond what he did, um, because uh, what God, God was more interested in was the fact that Job said, I know who God really is, because I know what, he's, you know what his laws are, I know what is good, I know what is right, and that is why I will insist that I am doing what is right, even though I do not understand the context. I know who God's character is, and that is the veil. Uh, to return to my original question, uh, and the fear of the Lord is understanding, and to depart from evil is understanding, the veil is living right. And that is something that uh, we you know, will always you know, be struggling with uh, to, to incorporate into our 
twisted scientific, secular, atheistic logic, but that you have to actually be following God's will to the best of your uh, understanding, to be living a life of integrity to the best of your ability. Uh, that, that is the, the life path. That is the, the avenue through which your mind can actually better understand and appreciate uh, the challenges and mysteries of life. And Job figured that out. Uh, I mean, you know, I, slowly but surely, Job, I think, realized that. Um, and that, uh, you know, this, this reorientation of uh, God was, was hiding for a while from Job, but um, he never hid what righteousness was. He never hid from Job what was the right thing to do. He only had hid himself. He'd only hid his power and his knowledge. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Job uh, had been confused about God's knowledge and power, uh, but he was not confused about who God was as, his, uh, as pertains to God's character. God does not want to hide his character from us. He never wants to hide his character from us. We may not understand his power and uh, you know, how he chooses to act and not act. Uh, we may not under understand how it relates to his knowledge of, of uh, the world and science, um, but he always wants us to understand his character. That is what God is most interested in, and it ultimately is why God uh, selected Job uh, for this horrible, horrible ordeal is because Job understood this. Uh, even though he did not understand the other aspects of it, he knew what God was really about um, and where wisdom is ultimately grounded and where uh, real understanding can uh, ultimately emerge from. So I hope that that is uh, helpful as we think about these questions. And um, I would be happy to hear from you in our last couple of minutes. Thank you. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.